0: sure you'll all be surprised that I'll draw your attention back to Ephesians 4 this morning. <laughs> Ephesians 4, we'll read 7 through 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Our most gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we are humbled today to have this opportunity to come together to worship you, to sing your praises, and have our hearts with one accord turn to your word. Lord, to hear what you would have us to hear from that which you inspired the apostle paul to write for our edification lord give us discernment through the spirit this morning give us minds that will retain what your word would have for us hearts that would meditate on it throughout this week lord that we might be built up as a church into maturity that we might stand strong and, and fast in and, and the doctrines that you've given to us, the truth that you've given to us, the methods that you've given to us, the means that you've given to us, and that we wouldn't be as children who are tossed this way and that with every wave, with every wind. that we might be fastened to the rock of ages. Be with us here this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we spoke last week of the gifts given to each one of us from verse 7 of Ephesians 4 where we read, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We didn't have time last week to go through all of what Paul is trying to get us to to see here in this passage through the end of verse 16, and I hope we can make it through that uh, today. So, Lord willing, we'll be dealing with 11 through 16 here this morning. Paul continuing on about these gifts and the purpose of these gifts in these next few verses. Among these gifts which were given, among the grace that each of us received as a gift and according to what was measured out by Jesus Christ as the head of the body and for his purpose and for support of this, he gave out some very unique gifts to the church, to his body. Paul tells us in verse 11 that he, that's Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, four distinct groups, given the gifts of grace particular to the church. Some refer to these as, as the word gifts that are given to the church. I, I prefer to think of them as particular gifts in reference to those whom Christ has chosen to lead within the body. And this is why these particular gifts of grace might be rightly spoken of as pertaining to the offices of the church. There are five things mentioned here, but I think it's very evident based on the construction of the way that it's worded that two of these gifts belong to one office. Uh, It's clear enough in what I read from this morning, which is the ESV translation, but I think it's sometimes passed over as we read quickly through this, that the last office is separated into two gifts. If you look at this in the original, when I open my in a linear uh, Bible, that's the ESV and and the Greek, uh, you'll see a, a clear designation to four offices, Uh, There is a word that is used that is translated the, which, which bears a mark of contrast between these different offices. And this word is before apostles, it's before prophets, it's before evangelists, and it's before shepherds. But it is not before teachers. There is a different word there that is translated in our Bibles, and. And I think that what this is pointing to is the fact that these shepherds or pastors and teachers are one office. It would re- really be hard to differentiate between 100% between preaching and, and teaching. Because those two things work hand in hand for the building up, for the equipping of the saints and the building up the body of Christ. But let's look at these groups here, these offices that are here mentioned. The first is apostles. Apostles are, are those Christ appointed to lay the foundation of the church. Uh, this, is, this is one of the offices that our writer here that was inspired to write these things by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Holy Spirit uh, Paul was an apostle. He says in Galatians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. One of the things that is unique among the apostles is that they were chosen directly and commissioned directly by Jesus Christ himself. And Paul speaks to that there in Galatians 1. They were also witnesses to his resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 9.1, we, we read Paul writing, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? He was an eyewitness to Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, later in that same book, in 1 Corinthians fifteen five through 9 speaking of Christ, And that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, Paul says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Yet Christ appeared to him. This was not a vision. This was the person of Jesus Christ himself that appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. And the apostles were also authenticated by signs and wonders. And they were given supernatural revelation of truth. We read earlier in our study in Ephesians, Ephesians three one through three, says, "For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly." And then in Galatians one again few verses down from what we read earlier in 10 through 12 of Galatians 1. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it, From any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in Matthew 9, we read of some of these gifts that were given to the apostles to authenticate their work. And we made mention of this briefly last week. But if you look at Matthew 9, verse 36 through 10, verse 1, when he saw the crowds, he, that's Jesus, had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction apostles were given the gift to be able to do these things by the power of the holy spirit who was poured out upon them for this purpose to be apostles Well, this office ceases to be when these men are no more. There are no more eyewitnesses of the resurrection. There is no record anywhere in Scripture of apostles being replaced when they died. There were and there are false apostles in the world. And even within the professing church today. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen 13 says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen. Does that sound like something we've just read from our text? Deceitful workmen, disguising themselves, uh, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. I don't know if you've heard of it, but there's a group that calls themselves the New Apostolic Reformation. The NAR. And they are a group, it's not really a denomination, but they are a group who believe that apostles are in existence today. And they tout themselves as apostles, able to perform miracles, receive supernatural revelation from from God, and they differ from what the Word of God says. This is an impossibility. If there was a revelation from God that continues today, it would have to be in complete agreement with this. If it is not, it is a false doctrine. It is a false prophecy, a false apostle. This, this is our revelation. The word of God. Well, and then he says that Christ gave the prophets. Prophets are those Christ has graciously given a gift during that time before the completion of the written word. They were specifically gifted. As an example of of this, we read in Acts 11.28 of a man named Agabus. Acts 11.28, "...and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit." that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. And the disciples acted upon this in recognition of the gift given to Agabus. The gift of prophecy as a prophet, a New Testament prophet before the completion of the written word. These prophets spoke revelation to the body of Christ. This office was designed and the gift given to act in tandem or as a companion to the work of the apostles. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. If you remember when we went through that, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Well, this office also ceased to be when the written word of God was completed and circulated through the church. These two are these, these these offices are broken down into those that are temporary and those that are permanent. And the apostles and the prophets were those that were temporary offices in the beginning foundation of the church. Well, Christ also gave the evangelists to the church. In the most technical sense, the, these men, these evangelists, are men who proclaim good, good news. Um, this particular, in, in this particular passage, the word for evangelist here is only mentioned three times altogether in the New Testament. It's mentioned here in our text in Ephesians 4. It's mentioned in Acts 21.8 in reference to Philip. And then again in 2 Timothy four five, where Paul instructs Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. This has led a few to believe that this also is an office that is not in current usage today. I don't think that that is necessarily the case. Uh, I I I believe that this work, this office that is being detailed in Scripture of those who proclaim. The good news is something very similar to that of a missionary. One who, who, and and what I mean by that is one who is a true missionary. Uh, there are there are other gifts, and there are a lot of things that people do today that are is that's called mission work. Uh, there's those that go and do mission work as doctors and dentists and and teachers uh, and. And uh, building projects and things like that. That is a very, very valuable work to be done. And is, is a, it is a great thing and it's, it's worth supporting. But that's not what this is. That is not this evangelist office. I don't want to downplay those other things. But I don't think that's what's in, in view here. These are those... And I think what is meant here is that these evangelists are those who go into unreached places for the purpose of proclaiming the good news to those who have never heard the Word of God, to those that the Word of God has never reached, where the name of Christ has never been named. Those in this office have been gifted to bring the Word of God to those who have not yet received it. This is a tremendously important work that Christ has gifted certain men to do. And it's something that I believe is truly worthy of our support in prayer, financially supporting their efforts in translation. We know of several several people that work diligently after having gone and brought good news to people to make sure that there are works and specifically the Bible to be translated into the language of the people that they've taken the word to. This is a tremendous work, and it's a very, very different gift than that which is given to what we'll deal with next, the pastors and the teachers. Then Christ gave to the church, the last of the offices, the shepherd or pastor and the teacher. Like we stated before, this is one office that has been gifted to the church. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor. Here it is, these two words put together. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. This is an office of leadership within the local bodies throughout the world. And the terms pastor, elder, bishop, shepherd, all are used synonymously within the scripture to refer to this office. In Acts 20, verse 28, we read, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. A specific office given to the church and men gifted to fill that office. 1 Peter 5, 1-3 So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock. This is an office within the church that we see mentioned by Christ Himself in in the letter to the same group of people, the same group of people that Paul wrote this epistle to, the Ephesians. In Revelation 1, 12-13, 12-13, through 13. John has, has heard a voice telling him to write what he sees in a book and send it to the seven churches, and John then turns. Way back, we, we, we dealt with all this, I don't know how many months ago now. But John turns to see the voice that's speaking to him. And he says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the son of man. clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And then John continues in the first chapter. He sees more of Christ in what this vision is revealing about Christ. And in verse 16, he says in his hand, his, his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Telling us some things about the Lord Jesus Christ, as depicted in this vision that John is seeing. Then in Revelation 1.20, the Lord of glory describes for John, What is this mystery of these seven golden lampstands and the seven stars that he holds in his right hand? Look at Revelation 1.20. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The angels being the messengers appointed to each of those churches, each having been sent by the Lord to that particular church. These are the pastors, the preachers, the the shepherds and teachers that have been appointed to that body in each of these locations. And then Christ standing in the midst of these seven golden lampstands which are the churches, showing that that by him being in the midst of them, that, that he is intimately involved in the dealings of his church, which is his body. And he holds in his hand those who have been given the gift of grace to be the shepherds and the teachers called and appointed by Him and sent by Him to preach and teach, to shepherd and teach in those particular local bodies, which are all part of the body of Christ. John Stott says in reference to the teaching portion of what Paul is dealing with here, and of this gift and office that nothing is more necessary for the building up of God's church in every age than an ample supply of God-gifted teachers. It is teaching which builds up the church. It is teachers who are needed most. What happens when there is a lack of biblical preaching and teaching? Do you remember what happened when Moses was up on the mountain? Do you remember? He was up there for an extended period of time and he came back and everybody had all but deserted God and built them for themselves a God of their own making. God has designed it so that the body has a pastor and a teacher and he is intimately involved in that well what are the purposes of these offices offices Why? why are these particular gifts these four offices given to the church well paul answers this for us doesn't he these gifts are given to the church and the men gifted to these offices by christ for what to equip the saints to equip the saints They are to use their gifts, which have been graced upon them for that purpose, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Going back real quickly to what we said last week, these gifts are not to be used for fame, not for fortune, not for freedom to say and proclaim what we may think is popular or what might be innovative and catching to the world. I, I don't know if you guys know what chat GTP is. It's artificial intelligence. It's pretty astounding. But this week I was going through, I use, I use a program called Logos. And it is a, it's a Bible program and it, it houses a lot of my commentaries electronically and allows me to very efficiently uh, work through passage studies. And uh, that's where I build, even do the Sermon Builder and build my sermons out, the outline for the sermons and everything. And, and there was a guy that there, there's this roadmap um, website that you can put requests in for uh, these different these different programs and Logos being one of them and, and different portions of that program like the Sermon Builder. And one man asked them to put ChatGTP into Sermon Builder. Now, I've played around with it a little bit, partially because it scares me, this artificial intelligence. I'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush with that. It, it is a scary thing to me. And I hope that this man's intention was to be able to use it within Sermon Builder as a, as, as a research tool. But my fear is that men will take that and say what I tested out on a passage that we've already dealt with and said, create for me a reformed sermon on a certain passage. And within 15 to 20 seconds, it has a 15-minute sermon all done. Where is the giftedness? Where is the making use of the means that God has supplied through the working of the Holy Spirit and through His Word. Working in the heart of a man to preach the Gospel. This is dangerous. There's been an issue with men in the church recently Won't mention who? With plagiarism. And taking sermons that are written by someone else. Now, Spurgeon himself had no problem with a man who would stand up and fill in on a pulpit taking one of his sermons and reading it aloud. But for the man who pastors, who shepherds a flock, who is the preacher and the teacher of a local body, to not put his... Heart and his mind into God's Word, looking for the leading of the Holy Spirit to bring out from the text that which God would have him to share with the flock is a devastating thing. They are any pastor, teacher, shepherd, bishop, elder should be relying on the Holy Spirit to use the Word in his heart and the gift that God has supplied him measured out by Christ to do that which he's been appointed to do. The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry flows from the work of the shepherd and the teacher. The word is to be preached and taught with with and in accordance to what Christ chooses and ordains by the gifting of the grace for this task, working the power of the Holy Spirit to work out that gift. Any shortcut or workaround to making use of the gift given cannot and will not be pleasing. the lord and it will it will be the source of many errors coming into the church well the shepherds the teachers work is to equip the saints and this is to be done by example by pattern and example first thessalonians 1 2 through 7 You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Again, we go back to a passage we read earlier from 1 Peter This is also to be done by the preaching of the Word of God and by prayer. In Acts 6, 1 through 4, it's, it's pretty evident that, uh, that a problem had arisen for these shepherds, these elders, and teachers. And we read in Acts 6, 1 through 4. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint came by the Hellenists. That is, uh, the, the Greek Jews arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The physical need of caring for others in the church became so great that there was a need to appoint these deacons. Those gifted by God for a specific purpose for the ministry the ministry of service these deacons gifted by God to serve the physical needs of the body and allow the pastor's teachers to give themselves over to prayer and the preaching of the word we'll see in a few moments more regarding why well, this office of pastor and teacher is an ongoing and continued leadership role that is devoted to prayer and to the ministry of the word and is vital, according to our text, to equipping the saints for the work of ministry and building up the body. So much so that Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 two, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preaching and teaching. You will not find in Scripture anywhere anything pointing to the fact that the role and the gift of a pastor, a shepherd, a teacher, an elder is to be there to entertain. You will not find that or to seek popularity or relevance to the culture. You will not find that. These things will never lead to an equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. The purpose and plan of God, the measured gifting of God for this office, the equipping of saints, For the equipping of saints is by the prayers and the preaching of God's Word by its proclamation. It is the Word being preached that rebukes, reproves, and exhorts by the preaching and the proclamation of God's Word. It does all this to and for the body of Christ. There is something that I'll never forget reading in uh, Martin lloyd Jones's biography. He had given up being a doctor and he was sent to and, and first appointed, the, the first church that he went to was a mission church in a town and it was a town full of drunkenness. Had no time for the things of the Lord, no, no desire, no care for the things of the Lord. And this church, before he became its pastor, had had done every scheme under the sun to try and, and get lure people away from their drunkenness, lure people away from the worldliness of, of the culture in this town. And the, one of the first things that Martin Lloyd-Jones did was get rid of every single society that the church had taken part in, the the hall where they had plays and, and everything else, and he went to preaching the Word of God. That's it. He shut them all down. Too much time and effort was being spent. Too much time on the programs and clever tactics of trying to lure these men away from all these things. And too little time was devoted to prayer and the preaching of God's Word, the preaching which won't just lure a man away from the world, but make him a new creation. Preaching and prayer is not an afterthought or something that can go along with programs and and societies and campaigns. It is the primary thing for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Well, Paul tells us what the purpose of equipping the saints is. What does he say? It's for the work of the ministry and the building up of the body, the church, the body of Christ. Here is the giftedness we talked a little bit about last week of all the saints put into action. We find it right here. Equipped by the word of God which is proclaimed and through prayer that the saints might be equipped for the work, strengthened for the labor, made ready for service to other members of the body and to others outside of the body who the Holy Spirit is drawing in to be a part of the body. Every member of the body of Christ is, is to be about the work of the ministry no exception no church can complete its it can be complete in its work by the gift of preaching and teaching alone there is work to be done by all the saints in the body and it is for this reason that Christ we are told by Paul earlier in chapter 4 here in verse Seven, that he has given out and measured unto each one of us grace and given a gift to men, to all the members of the church. The church is being built up outwardly and externally by the equipped saints through evangelism and witness. Every one, every member of the body is to be about these things. And that is one of the ways in which the body is built up externally. And the church is also being built up through these gifts internally, building each other up, supporting one another, being of service to one another, making the building stronger, this body of Christ, more mature, more resilient in opposition to the world. The work of the pastor alone is not the work of the ministry. Well, it's worth repeating that. This is this is every member of the body's work. This is not as someone put it, and I wish I could remember who, but he described this as one of the errors in the church as as the members of the body, it's like they're seated in a in a train. And they're being carried along by the engineer who is the the man leading the train which is the pastor. And all they do is sit and receive. That is not the picture that Paul is giving us. The pastor is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Now he is a part of that. But every member is to be about the work of the ministry. Ian Hamilton says, The work of the ministry... That God's word equips us for is to be carried out by men and women whose lives are being made whole and restored to the image of God that sin has defaced. The gospel of God's grace in Christ will come credibly to a fallen world only when it is delivered by those whose lives are mastered and transformed by the grace of God's truth. It is achieved, he said, as God's word impacts our lives and shapes and styles us into the likeness of Christ. Isn't that what Paul goes on to tell us? It is beginning to end a work of God's grace. Where did, what did we say last week? Where did the gift come from? Where did each one of our gifts come from? The grace of God. You cannot separate being graced and being gifted. It's the same thing. Grace always implies a gift. Think about being saved by grace. Is that not a gift? Did you earn it? Did you deserve it? Or was it given to you as a gift through God's grace? beginning to end. This truth runs all throughout this epistle and is just as true regarding the work of the ministry. It's by grace. Grace is needed and grace is given according to the measure of Christ. Paul continues on in verse 13. I've got to hurry here that this is the work set before the body until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He is saying that this work continues. This work of the pastor to equip the saints and the saints to be about the work of the ministry building up the body of Christ until we all hold to the truth of faith in Christ Jesus or to to the same confidence and surety of who Christ is and what He has accomplished on our behalf. Until we all have this same knowledge to know the Son of God, to know Him wholly and intimately and experientially, Not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge of our Lord and Savior, of God the Son, until we are all mature. This is quite clear what this is pointing out to us as we make our way into the next verse. The picture is that of a child who is extremely elementary in everything that they are, in in what they take in. In, in what they eat, in, in how they move, in their understanding and in their experience, they're childlike. Until he grows up into the example and stature and the fullness of Jesus Christ, the perfect man, the one who is the fullness of God we read about the very standard by which perfection itself is measured and met in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ has appointed those apostles and prophets upon which the church is built, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Then He also granted, by grace to the church, the evangelists and the the shepherds or the pastors and the teachers, the preachers and teachers, to raise us up in the word of God. By the dwelling of God the Holy Spirit to raise up these newborn babes, these children into maturity that they may be about the work of the ministry until we are all built up into the very stature of Christ. Into the the completeness of, Of Christ. The sufficiency. Of Christ. The very stature of him. Not that this will ever be attained. In this life. It won't be. But even here. Members of the body. Paul says would be no more children. But reach maturity. Until the ultimate fullness is achieved. In that great day. For which we all eagerly. Wait and anticipate. This work will continue until that day. The gates of hell can't even prevail against it. And the apostle goes on to expand, expound on this that the purpose for this is that even here, look at Ephesians 4.14, even here, waiting that day, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitfulness, excuse me, craftiness and deceitful schemes, that the body not be made up of babes or children, those who are immature, infantile in their understanding and in their strength that they may be strengthened and grounded so that they might not be tossed here and there and carried away. By what? By every wind of doctrine, Paul says. How many people do you know that call themselves Christians and will sit and listen to men who are supposedly preachers and saying things that are exactly the opposite but they'll agree to everything that's being said? Everything. Because they've never really been taught. They've never really sat under the ministry of God's word. They have no discernment. They are weak due to malnourishment. Poisoned with deceitful practices. Trying to sustain nourishment on half-truths. They are those that aren't tied off to the rock. They have no real anchor. And when the slightest storm or wind or wave crashes against them, they drift right off like a boat that hasn't been tied off to the dock. Carried about by every wind of doctrine, even those that are false doctrines. What does what the writer of Hebrews tell us? Take heed, lest you drift away. Take heed. And he says that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by human cunning. How many are still satisfied with sipping milk instead of eating meat? Brought to life but not nourished by the word of God because the pastor, the preacher, spends all his time in programs, games, clever tactics, worldly pursuits, idle gossip, Trying to build a church. Trying to build a true church. With worldly methods and popular growth schemes. They'll build a church. It won't be a true church. And there'll be thousands in the seat who never once do the work of ministry. Thousands who come for a moral lesson and a A good story. But never are prepared or equipped for the work of ministry. Thousands who are barely sustained and not taking in any real food because the so-called pastor knows better how to build his church than Christ. That's scary. But isn't that what we see? Thousands who are devoid of that which builds them up into mature manhood for the work of the ministry and building up the body of Christ, building a house with twigs instead of brick and mortar. So when the wind comes, when the waves come, swept right away. And then by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 2, but we have renounced... Paul says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. These craftiness, this craftiness in deceitful schemes, they're products of our enemy and the tactics which he first showed to us in the garden. When he tempted Eve and tempted Adam, craftiness, deceitful ways. Did God really say? Let me take a little bit of half-truth here and let me twist it to, to, to cause you to drift away. Second Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere, sincere and pure devotion to Christ. These are the ways of men who are of the Father, their father the devil. Acts thirteen ten says, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, you will not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Deceitful ways, craftiness and cunning. Paul says instead of those things, look at look at uh, verse fifteen, instead of those things, rather The Lord's way is speaking truth in love. Speaking truth in love. It's to be spoken. We are not to be silent. We are not ambiguous in what we say. We speak truth. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We speak truth. Simple, straightforward, unashamedly we proclaim truth and speak truth but it's to be done in love there are many ways to speak truth and as we hurry through this i've i've spent way too much time speaking what i know to be truth in a reckless manner impatient sometimes in a fighting or argumentative manner But the apostle tells us that we're to speak truth in love. It should be done in love with a concern for unity and in concern for souls. The souls that we are sharing truth with may be souls that are hurting. They may be souls that are completely lost and dead to God. And we're to speak truth to one another as the body of Christ. There's so much more I'd love to have time to get to here, but let me just say this all has to be done in love. First Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13.1 If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I have all the, the talent in the world of oratory, but I don't speak in love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Speak the truth. Speak it in love. So that we are able to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. And in verse 16, Paul tells us that it is Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The head supplies the vital influence, the control. The head gives motion and movement to the body, passing from the head through each individual parts. These joints, those are that, that ties the parts together, passing from the head through all of those parts and pieces so that the purpose which the head desires is brought to be accomplished. Every body part, every member of the body of Christ has been equipped with a gift from the head for the body's overall health and well-being to the end that the body may grow and be strengthened and to work out the desire of its master, its head, its Lord, who is Jesus Christ. Paul told us earlier that we've each been given a gift. Every part with unique gifts and purposes working in harmony together. Here it draws right back to that unity. In harmony together for life and vitality. Everything having its proper place. When each part is working properly. Having its proper place and function to support life and growth. Every member or part of the body, depending on the head, Jesus Christ, for its direction, sustaining, empowering, each part independent, yes, but somehow miraculously, seamlessly put together into one body. This is an amazing thing. working out according to God's purpose, Christ's purpose, what it has been designed to accomplish here in this world. The work of the ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. You know, we live in the 21st century. I think we're still in the 21st century, aren't we? 21st century. And there's been been a lot that's changed from the New Testament era. A lot. A lot a lot that's changed from the reformation era the puritan era you know it's been a lot of changes and the danger that we have is thinking that we must do something new it's a danger look around at churches today have to do something new Much has changed, and and we're not going to deny that much has changed, but as much has changed, there's a whole lot more that stayed exactly the same. God's truth, still truth, isn't it? had not changed. Has His way of salvation changed? Has His purpose for the body of Christ changed? Has His purpose in preaching changed? And teaching changed. Has the depravity of man changed? Has man's helpless state, deadness to God changed? It's little that's changed. Preaching of God's Word, the gospel of Jesus Christ is still what we proclaim and will ever be what we proclaim. And the same system chosen by our Lord, by our head, and the gifts with which He has graced His people is still the means of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. It's not changed. 2,000 years, it hasn't changed. If we're around 4,000, not we, But if mankind is here for 4,000 more years, it's never going to change. His purpose is unchanging. His methods, his ways, the, the things that he has chosen to accomplish his purpose have not changed and will not change. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When we see Him, we'll be like Him. You know, every single apostle except John died a martyr's death making use of the gift of that God had given them for the church to accomplish His purpose in building the church. We don't need timid pastors and teachers. We don't need men who are afraid of the world. We don't need some cute and fashionable hip Creative way to present God's truth. Don't need to fabricate or out of our own wisdom a way to do it in which we can be at peace with the world. Never going to happen if we're proclaiming truth. World hates it. Can't proclaim it in a way that will be peaceable with the world. We proclaim God's truth and God's way. We proclaim it boldly. Proclaim it loudly but we proclaim it in love, seeking to point others to our head. To the cross of Christ, so that though they're sinful and unworthy, as we were unsinful, or we were sinful and unworthy, that they too might see Christ and be joined into the body. So that they might too might, they, they might use a gift given to them for the work of the ministry. It's how God has chosen to work. All these that we pray for and our hearts are burdened for because they're lost, their lives are in turmoil, creating chaos all around them. We have work to do, the work of the ministry. Speak truth in love. It's the work that every one of us is given to do. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us to do that which You've given us to do. Holy Spirit, give us strength, give us guidance through the Word to live out the purpose of each and every one of us in our being joined to the body of Christ. Lord, give us strength in opposition to the world. Give us the ability to speak truth and speak it in love, but do so with boldness and unashamedly, that we might point lost, dying souls to Christ. Lord, just give us grace that we might grow. that we might be fastened to the rock, that we might not ever drift away. And no matter what wind comes our way or waves come our way, we're tied to Your Word, tied to Your truth, tied to our Savior. Lord, we thank You for it. We praise You. In the name of Christ we pray amen